Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Agir. Down to the moon, baby. Crack open a tall glass of vino. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to a very special post-Christmas hangover episode of Let's Talk More Movies. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Dan Kjellan. And to his left is... Shane Coyle. By the end of this, it could be the previous Shango. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christmas has taken its toll on everyone, oh, I feel. <laughs> very much so. I, I think that the, the fact that this is the first and only podcast where we haven't had a danger bottle, or haven't been drinking in general, I think just shows the toll it has taken. Well, I, I have a wee hot whiskey here to help my sore throat. <laughs> I, I have one as well. I don't count it. I think it's medicinal. Bit of, <laughs> of manuka honey and shit, you know what I mean? I literally can barely even look at you when you're drinking it. I feel so fucking bad. The past six days straight, I think it's just completely obliterated my physique. <laughs> Not that I had a great physique this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beach bot is gone. You had it ready and all coming into the summer, but no. <laughs> and for the spring months. Um... I think I was saying to Dan before the podcast as well, I was saying, I just, yeah, I've got that bug. And then Dan was like, no, that's just alcoholism. <laughs> it was because you've been drinking for a week straight to not try and pass this off to a bug. <laughs> yeah, you're just fucked. <laughs> How was Christmas? Uh, yeah, I had a great Christmas. I like your new uh, panda headphones. They're not panda headphones. They're, nah, skull they're, they're a panda. What's a skull candy? What is this? Skull candy is just a brand. It has a skull as its logo. Bend, bend forward, you see the logo? Uh, that's a panda that's certainly a panda. It like a panda it's fucking identical to a panda well it just shows how fucked you see <laughs> <laughs> what else recognize the skull what else did you get for christmas michael um i got some lego Ooh. i got lego dimensions oh i've been playing that and uh what's the difference as a as a non-lego connoisseur i need to know lego dimensions is a video game but you you build lego i'm not you know what it's okay. What's the one with the the wires and stuff? The wires? And like the electronic Lego. Am I making this up? Electronic Lego? Ah, is it like he bolts? What do you call that shit? Or maybe it's not Lego, but it's like bulb block things. Skelet? No, that's Kiara. No, it's connects. Connects. They weren't really wires. Though. It was just like sticks type thing. No, oh, there was uh, wires in someone. Was it? Oh, are you on about Mechano? Mechano. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what it is. Hey, they, they built like the biggest. Scale bridge or something down Belfast. We ever a mechano like man, Michael? You've always been strictly Lego. Strictly Lego. <laughs> I used to use stick up bricks, and then <laughs> one time I got like uh, a stick up bricks so fucking class. Like, and then at uh, all no, connects, uh, I got like a Ferris wheel and I bolt it, and they're like, "What the fuck did he do this night?" This big fucking five foot tall Ferris wheel that was in my room, <laughs> and like took me ages. Like, I was like, I don't know, this, "This is crap now. I don't know what to do." See, write it. He's right. that's fault. I was always a play doh man myself. I don't know, I think it's just because with Play-Doh, I mean, you're very limited with Lego, you can only make brick, brick things, <laughs> whereas with Play-Doh, you can make anything. But you can't really make a brick, though. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure the two, that's... 
Uh, but forward. There was nothing better. Or at the same time, we're sold around and getting a new fresh pack of Play-Doh, but then the colours got all mixed together and they just wouldn't work the same anymore. Or when you got some hard Play-Doh. It was good though when you realised if you put Play-Doh on newspaper, the print came off and then what? the newspaper was backwards on the Play-Doh. I never got that. <laughs> Why am I discovered that now? Twenty six. But you've ruined this piece of Play-Doh then, have you not? Nah, you can. I can rub it off. Yeah, you can wipe it away. Just you can wash just, off just, your Play-Doh. Just, just mix that shit in. <laughs> the smell of fresh Play-Doh always got me too. Ah, the smell of fresh Play-Doh <laughs> over a new tube. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Play-Doh addict. Yeah. Seems I've always had an addictive personality went from Play-Doh to drink. <laughs> um, how, how was Christmas for Dan and Chan? Obviously, you spent it together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah too much together. Uh, too, uh, too much together drinking. Uh, I, it was really good from what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That sums it all up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> in fairness to Dan, Dan is such a, he's such a grunch, he's such a bad humbug at Christmas sometimes. He takes me, I think now, I'm buzzing, got off work on Christmas Eve, I'm really looking forward to Christmas, wake up on Christmas Day, that went pretty well, all the gifts went down well, then Dan takes me on Christmas night, perform, dislike Christmas. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, Dan, come on. I just don't like it. So, uh, you get nice presents? I uh, got a pair of headphones, pretty cool. Oh, who yeah. who will them better? Whose headphones are better? You should have brought yours too. We could have a. See, I can't really mind out of the house as well because I've got like lights in them because they're Bluetooth, and I don't want to be like walking down the street with big lights on the side of my head. <laughs> are they like big proper headphones? Eh? Uh, they're pretty good. I eh? but the see, thing is, like, I probably won't wear these out of the house. I'll be using it for doing the podcast. And yeah, uh, they're like Bluetooth as well, but I'm only gonna be like using them with the laptop, and you know that like lack of a lead for like you know that wee tiny foot distance. Yeah, I mean like that's that's just worth extra money right there. I mean everything <laughs> should be wireless. But you can you can whack on some thing you want to watch. And then bop about my room. Or just, you know, masturbate in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say this is different than any other thing. Why does he need the headphones for that, though? Ah, so his so so man and I can hear. hear the pornographic images. Flawless logic, Mickey. Don't let's be not your first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> what did I get? Uh, a pair of socks from my man. I got uh, a phone, which is nice, but I haven't been able to use yet because I don't really understand it. <laughs> You're just I'm, staring I'm at this brick. It's like, what is this? So far behind my technology, it's ludicrous. Uh, Are you I'm, still using your old shitty phone? Yeah, I'm still using the old shitty phone, which I don't think that uh, my girlfriend is quite too happy about whatsoever. But it's just because I'm waiting for them to change over my number, but they said they would do it by today and they have not, so it's not my fault. Your move, too. Oh, there's a new SIM card in the Yeah, thing. that's exactly what it is. And I don't have like a tap up on it yet because I don't want to use the old number because when we fuck, they change the, everything. The, the opposite of that kind of happened to my sister that she, she ordered a new iPhone from like Carphone Warehouse or something, but they had to order it in. So they said they would delay her, the transferring of her number, but they didn't. So they transferred it over to the new SIM card, but she doesn't have the phone. <laughs> I th- I <laughs> so think she just doesn't have a thing. With. I think they forgot them. I mean, it was all very official, over above board. They made me fill out a form and everything, which I haven't I doing quite some time. Oh but God. no, they haven't. But anyway, that, that's besides the point. Uh, what else did he get? <laughs> you, you want to stay off the grid? Don't you? <laughs> you don't say anything. <laughs> I know. I mean, the last time we got a phone, it like mysteriously fell down the toilet. I, I don't. I don't believe this at all, to be honest. And uh, I can see the same fate following this phone. I, you know was, what? It was Shan Coyle in a drunken rage, couldn't unlock the phone yeah. or something, and then just threw yeah. it down the toilet. What, what, what the backstory is, and I think I told this on, on a previous podcast, was I, I got a smartphone 
halfway through the year and I finally discovered the, the big bad world of WhatsApp and how all you young guns are communicating these days. You're and, so old. And uh, <laughs> but I, I, a friend of ours, Jack, says that it's almost like Shane Coyle peaked technology-wise that as soon as he sent his first image on WhatsApp, he had to destroy everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he, can't, he can't go any further, so I intentionally threw it down that door. I did not. I was just blocked. I was actually it was right as part of too. Aye, but like you, you text like you write letters. You mean they're, they're like three pages in length and like uh, I mean oh they're very enjoyable. But I don't don't think you can keep up with the breakneck pace of WhatsApp. I can't. I had WhatsApp for about two weeks. And I was dying to fucking throw the phone away. I've done the toilet. No, no. But what else is it? I like sending text. I like sending text, right? And then being able to chill out for a while and not have to reply to your friend for a bit because you know. You just want to have your own life outside of fucking being on WhatsApp. WhatsApp is too much. Like you're getting twenty fucking messages a month, and you it's, yeah. you almost feel like you need to reply to them. I can't. I can't, I can't keep up with. That's why I might spam me WhatsApp on this new phone, or this one might. What? <laughs> you, you can you can just mute the conversation and then just check it at your. Ah, but then you come back and there's like fucking twenty five thousand bastard messages that you have to get through. And as well, it's that sort of thing. Like, if I don't have WhatsApp, I don't know what the crack is. But then, if I have WhatsApp, I'll be too tempted, and I'll, I'll be afraid of missing the crack. You know what I mean? You're an addict. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say anything. I'm just constantly on the WhatsApp group. I mean, way too much. I'm really, I'm yeah. looking down at my phone now, dying to see what the crack is. <laughs> <laughs> really good before we start this podcast. You can try that phone stack thing. You ever do that? No. Like. Everybody has to put their phone in oh, in yeah. the middle, and then like you have a drink at the bar, or whatever. And if somebody checks their phone, then they have to like buy a round or something. Also, one question: How was Christmas dinner for everybody? Good. It was very good. Uh, Do you still get the standard turkey and ham, stuffing, veg, buds, gravy, pepper sauce? Not pepper sauce. Gravy. Mm-hmm. I know you mental. I <laughs> <laughs> <You laughs> said it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's all all standard fare, but the the best thing is stuffing. Oh, it's so good. My granny as well makes two different types of stuffing. Standard stuffing and sausage stuffing. Incredible. So, so good. And then it's all about them ham and stuffing sandwiches the next day. Like, <laughs> oh, yes. Any See, day of the week. Because Christmas Day this year, there was only seven of us when normally there's eight. Who was missing? My brawler because he was away to his wife's family. Turncoat bastard. And then, because <laughs> then the next day then she was coming to ours, ours for dinner and then um, my nephews were there so there was more people the second day and the first day, but my mask made the same amount of stuffing for both yes. days. Yes, yes. Stacks of stuffing the first day. Was that really a highlight of your Christmas, Mike? It really was. <laughs> <laughs> Love him so. And then after Boxing Day, she took all the leftovers, made a Christmas pie. Oh my fuck. That sounds incredible. It was delicious. I just remembered too. Asked him how to get on for Christmas, and you brought up the fact you got headphones. Did you not get a full, all exclusive paid holiday for yourself too? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that. One. I'm like, yeah, I stayed here last night. You didn't mention it to me. You, you immediately went to bed and passed out. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't know there was much crack out of me at all. Barely said two words to me. Tell me about your nice holiday. Um, my mother-in-law to be and my sister-in-law to be, uh, bought me and Jill a holiday to Sulu mm. for a week. All, all, all paid, all inclusive. So you just drink whatever. You're gonna come back about four stone heavier then. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looking forward. <laughs> <laughs> it's at it's because it's right after my sister's wedding as well, so I can get in shape for that, and then just let myself go a wee bit, and then get back on on the train for my own wedding. And when is your sister's wedding again? August. Am I invited? No. Nope. I don't even have a plus one. Who a plus one from who? Not uh, for you. No, because me and Jill are going. But certainly Jill can get her own separate invite. Have plus one as well, and then I can go too. <laughs> what? I don't know. I'll try and finagle you in. What there? 
Heron's invited. I get a plus one off Heron. Heron is invited, yeah. Yes. I always find a way in. What, what about <laughs> me now? I mean, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> also, do you want to give an update on Heron? Uh, he's back home. Yeah. yeah. He's he's doing great. He's well, He just has to go back to hospital now just to get his, his bandage changed yeah. and some physio and stuff like that. But yeah, he's back in the house. He's doing great. Everybody's happy to see him back. Really, really good for him too. And he was saying last night that his progress is coming on so far that he's even putting weight down on the leg and trying to take steps with it already. That's amazing, isn't I it? It's seen, incredible. Yeah. I have seen a picture with him just with a cane rather than like yeah. a, in a wheelchair or whatever. That's I think his, his, uh, his fuzzy kind of supporting that now that she wants him to try, you know, make more progress now and start putting weight down again just right. to kind of get himself back in the rhythm. But all going good. A lot better than what it was a few weeks ago. He'll be around the marathon next year. Nah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway let's move on to not what have we watched this week because it is the end of the year and it's the last one before the end of the year I thought I would ask what have we watched this year we're so creative on this one I guess fuck off mate (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah uh, some favourite films of the year some worst films what you got I think uh, I'll kick it off because it's probably the biggest release out bar Star Wars uh and it's the last film that I watched. I watched The Hitful Eight this week, and obviously it was it's a really anticipated film. The Eighth film from Quentin Tarantino, which has really fucked me off marketing wise. What, yeah. what what's the what's the relevance of it being the eighth film? Just that the fact that it's got eight in the title. But no, I just he numbers all his films. Yeah, like no, Kill Bill is like the fifth or whatever. Uh, I know. Well, I suppose it's just another little ego bath for Quentin, I think. But uh, I, I was looking forward to it. You know, I always have my gripes and, and my complaints about Quentin Tarantino's stuff, but I was genuinely looking forward to this because it's. Tarantino's version of yeah, almost like a deconstructive western and I mean like even from the promotional material it kind of looked very akin to McCabe and Mrs. Muller which I talked about a couple weeks back you know the snow-capped landscapes uh, and the fact as well I had Kurt Russell on it I absolutely fucking love Kurt Russell I love most of the stuff he does he's Snake Plissken I always bring this up as if, as if you don't know he's Bone Tomahawk he's well. Bone Tomahawk <laughs> as well <laughs> uh, but it's it's disappointing it's, it's even more disappointing uh, it's, it's disappointing because it's it kind of got me even more because it's one of those films that starts out really well and you're thinking, fuck, you know, it's living up to the hype and then just falls apart. The start is this Ennio Morricone scored, which is amazing. Uh, and it's John, what was his name on it? John Ruth, who's uh, Kurt Russell's character. He's taking uh, his prisoner, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, through this mountain pass and they have to stop off then. They meet Samuel Jackson along the way and the, the first half an hour is just building up these two characters and who they are. And Tarantino's always a master of that. He's always a master of Balding through dialogue, even though sometimes he can beat himself off about it, and he's it's a wee bit too peppered, I suppose, or he's a wee bit too self fulfilling. He, he doesn't know when to cut it out, and bit, that's bit masturbatory. Masturbatory, yes. I think <laughs> that's onanistic. Ah, good word. <laughs> but why did I get good word? Because you says masturbatory. My God, is that even a fucking word? It is a word. Masturbatory. Hey, it means masturbating. That's <laughs> that is a falsehood. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is a word, though. I doubt it very much. Masturbatory. You're the walking dictionary. Am I? Is that my thing now? Uh, That's why people call you down the dick. (laughs) 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 Fuck you. Uh, I say yes. Actually, I've heard that before. Thumbs up. All right. I love that. Two thumbs up from that. (laughs) I say yes. (laughs) The the Suskel and Ebert of the dictionary. (laughs) 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 But, uh, like I was saying, Tarantino... His main problem is that, you know, he has a bit of an egotist and he maybe has a wee bit too much self-belief sometimes and it's kind of like that thing we were saying a few weeks back with Ryan Gosling, you know, for Lost River. Maybe he needed someone to just kind of put their hand on the shoulder and say, you know what, you can cut this out, this isn't needed or this is just kind of... Raining on a bit. Raining on a bit, exactly. 
Uh, the reason it falls flat too is it's it's a three hour film, and it's uh, it's a three hour film, and about two and a half hours it takes place in one room. It takes place in this place called Money Money's Haberdashery, which is like this tavern through this mountain pass, and there's really only eight characters on there. Now what he does very well is considering, I mean, like you have to be a very skillful writer to keep that interesting. You know, just one room and only a, yeah. a small handful of characters. He does make it interesting up to a point of this mystery. There's a mystery of who poisoned the coffee. It'll make sense when you actually watch it. But that's dealt with very well. And the fact that he uses the sort of non-linear techniques that he used in Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, which he hasn't done in quite a while, he goes back then and gives you more parts of the plot that happened just before the film started, which makes it very, very interesting. I mean, like literally like an hour beforehand. But it just doesn't hold up then. And I think towards the end too, with the violence, and it was a kind of complaint that I've had about Tarantino's recent films especially, like... Django and Kill Bill for me. Kill Bill yeah. and Glorious Bastards. It's a, it, it's it's a quite a mature film up until then. There's so many good elements. Like I said, the score it looks amazing. The performances are good. Some of the dialogue and that mystery is good. But then the gore just makes it cartoonish. It's so over the top, and it's almost like Tarantino's always been this proponent that you know he's got a lot of sex, drugs, and violence in his movies. But in real life, he despises all those things, and I just don't know if I believe it because sometimes when you're watching some of his violent scenes. It's for me. It's done for a pure pleasure. It doesn't seem like it's any indictment, and it just it pulls you out of that zone of you're watching this mature, maybe deconstructed, deconstructive western, and kind of throws you then into your atypical blood and gore sort of revenge plotline. Uh, it does also get a wee bit, I would say, slapsticky towards the end. Walton Goggins, who's an actor that I absolutely love, he's probably the least known actor on the on the bill there. He was great in Justified, and he was very good in The Shield, and he uh, Sons of Anarchy too. But he's in there, and towards the end, his character just actually becomes... It doesn't feel like he should be in that film. He's sort of the comic relief throughout, but then he's too much of the comic relief, especially when all the violence starts to really escalate towards the end, and it gets... I think it's actually some of Tarantino's most violent stuff towards the end. Like. But there's a lot they like about it. I think, again, just Tarantino might have been his own worst enemy, and possibly if he would have maybe listened to someone else, or maybe just cut a wee bit out, and maybe actually thought about where his narrative was going instead of trying to mix in that slapsticky sort of over the top violence with an actual pretty good story that he had put together it would have been a far more effective film but I'd say out of five because it's got so many good elements which is really frustrating because you, you want to like it more I would say it's it's a three it's a three a strong three. Str- it's a strong it's a strong three could have been even stronger four passed by five if just there was a good few things tweaked in there. It's it's kind of it's it's actually irritating because it seems like it's the simple things that he's got wrong. All the hard like the scores a masterpiece. Morricone. It's the first time he's done film work. I think it's only twenty years or something. It's like the first that. time Tarantino has an original score. Yeah, I said I think though the only reason he does because it's Morricone and he actually got, you know pretty much got him out of retirement or semi retirement or whatever. Uh, and it looks incredible. And the acting and the, and the mystery element is as I say I don't want to keep repeating myself. That's that's good. But the, the, there there could have been things freshened with. You see, <clears throat> I I'm I'm not the biggest Quentin Tarantino fan, and like I I, I see his films, so I'm never really looking forward to them. But I was actually kind of looking forward to the Hate Flight. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why, because Shan suggested maybe he's just rubbing off on me and his Kurt Russell. Like. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the whole element that it is just uh all in this cabin or whatever, mm. I was intrigued by air because if you look what Quentin Tarantino's done before, like the bar scene in Glorious Bastards, or even just uh, Reservoir Dogs itself, it, you can really build tension in a confined space really yeah. well. Like, one of my favourite scenes of the past couple of years, I think it's a masterclass of dialogue, is the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards. 
Yeah. Where mm-hmm. it's Hans Landa interrogating the boy who's keeping the, the Jewish people under his floorboards. That's incredible. And that's an opening scene in the last 15 minutes. And it's essentially just a cat and mouse just. And it's all done through, well, besides, you know, the bit of shootout at the end. It's just all dialogue and it's all subtext because you know what Landa's saying. He means something completely different. And the, the French guy, I can't remember the actor's name, he knows that he's been caught, but he's just trying to kind of yeah. smooth over it. But. It do, I mean, like like I was saying, the hit flight. It does do that to an extent, but I think even his own powers as a writer, they kind of it, 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 it can't make it last, especially for three hours. Like doing it for fifteen minutes is probably a tough ass. Never mind three hours. Uh, Heard uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's quite good on it though. Brilliant. She is. Uh, she's probably the standout performance. I think she's been nominated a few, for a few things. Yeah, she's nominated for a Golden Globe, and she usually the Golden Globes falls to the Oscar. So I think she might be on my shirt with an Oscar nomination too. Uh, Samuel's. Very, very good. Walton Goggins, as I say, he's brilliant at what he does, but his character... He is, he? He's, he's he even though he's got a very... Uh, no, he's the, the cross-dresser. He starts going with Tug. Oh, right. Yeah. Walton yeah. Goggins. He's an yeah, unbelievably versatile actor. Really, really yeah, good. He's, he's Django as well. Actually, yeah, he's, he's a slave trader in Django too. Mm, he's, he's got a very distinctive look. I know I know who you're on by from Sun's Anarchy. You know? Yeah. But uh, he's good, but it just feels like his character towards him belongs in a different film. Uh, Kurt Russell, of course. Absolutely excellent. Not enough Russell, if you ask me. Bruce Dern's on there. It's more a cameo. Very, very good too. Uh, is, Reg- there, is there literally only eight people in it? I think, besides like one or two characters that you see in flashback, I think it's only about 11 people. Which, in fairness, is ballsy. And it's it's almost like Tarantino's version of a chamber play. It's like, a, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like a, a Tarantino long bottle episode because they're all just caught <laughs> in this wee room. I, but it's nearly like uh, Tarantino, like, like greatest hits like he has Michael Madsen in there and Tim yeah. Roth and stuff like he's bringing everybody from his previous films together yeah Michael Michael Madsen and Tim Roth they're on there but they're, they're really they're very much background characters they serve obviously they, they serve a point to the to the plot but they're actually two kind of uninteresting characters uh, Tim Roth has an accent on there It's he's, he's putting it on you'll find out why he's putting it on but he's got this regal British accent and it's so over the top it's ridiculous it actually kind of threw it's supposed to be comedic but it throws you completely off the character you know what I mean because yeah. you just generally can't take him seriously I think uh, Tom Ross had a bit of a sore patch after uh, United Passions <laughs> I think he's just oh, yeah. he, he's just trying to grab back any semblance he has of a career like you know what I mean? but I don't know there's a lot they like about it so you should definitely give it a go I think you especially I know you're, you'd be on the Tarantino too I think you would find a lot on it that you would like yeah I mean it, just as you brought up I mean obviously I'm a big fan of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and uh, Django and Kill Bill both parts there's so much to like in them I think mm-hmm. but then whenever he does get over the top and just yeah. uh, he does like yeah as we're talking about like does it owning a sick things like you know Kill Bill like the scenes the violence in that to me is really, really over the top in certain parts. Like, whenever she... Mm-hmm. Even even the way some of the story goes, I know it's a revenge. Like, I know we have to see this sort of, uh, you know, awful thing happen, you know, to give her the justification to go do what she does. But some of it is just really... Like, the, the scenes where she's out cold and she's being raped by the orderlies yep. and stuff like that. Like, And then when you see uh, Lucy Liu's character, we see, like, her intro, and it's done in, like, a sort of animated style. Yeah, and when I, yeah but when I was sitting there watching it, I thought, yeah, this... Great, something different, and then it goes on for way too long, and it gets way too violent. And I think it actually just detracts from the film more than as yet. And I think that's just Tarantino's nature. He sometimes turns up to eleven just too much. Big time. It's so gratuitous. Like I mean, and that that's why I don't understand when he constantly comes out and bemoans like 
people criticising the violence in his films and he kind of just hand waves it off as like oh no I hate violence in real life and I'd never be violent but I mean obviously you're showing these ridiculously over the top now I'm not saying I'm not going to try and get on the, the bit about violence in film because there's way worse offenders in Tarantino and you know it does have its place you know Jesus Christ I love slasher films and stuff like that mm. and that's just violence for violence sake but you know don't come out and pretend that you're not trying to make it more appealing through this sort of glorified violence you know what I mean yeah yeah just to say, I mean, we've talked about it before that you know I think there's definitely uh, there's definitely a responsibility the film and maybe are told that if you are going to approach violence or even rape even these serious subjects, it is maybe worth doing something that maybe justifies it. You know, it is a bit gritty. Don't always turn the camera away yeah. if you know what I mean. But I think Tarantino doesn't do that. He goes so far over the top that it is for nothing else just entertainment does it for the sake of doing it really I mean it's it's the same thing that we brought up before and it's you know really really uh, prominent as well in the hit flight is the use of like racial slurs and stuff like that and I know maybe it, it can be fiddled in there because of the time period you know it's post civil war and white men would be saying you know these kind of slurs towards black men because you know Samuel Jackson's helping them non-stop but it's again feels gratuitous there's no need for it to be on there that much we get it these people are racist they don't have to be saying these words every fucking scene like you know what I mean there's also a thing I completely forgot about that was probably just trying to erase it from my memory there's a small subplot on there between Samuel Jackson's character and Bruce Dern's character Bruce Dern was he's a retired uh, racist general apparently he just slaughtered black men for the sake of slaughtering them and refused to tackle them as POWs because he just disliked them that much and Samuel Jackson absolutely despised them but there's a subplot between an in flashback form between Samuel Jackson and Bruce Dern's son and it's fucking ludicrous it just again I don't, need, I don't even want to spoil it because I just want you to see it for yourselves first time it completely brings you out of the phone okay <laughs> <laughs> nothing to say to that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well dan what was a favorite film of yours this year uh one that really stood out to me was uh inside out i'm a big big fan of pixar but i think that recently they might have lost their way maybe a bit yeah. i think something like brave which started off very strongly for me didn't really it didn't hit the heights of maybe something like wally did or ratatouille i, I, I think brave, a couple, yeah. yeah a couple of years ago was like well sorry about Kiar, five years ago. two and planes i think was the first yeah. kind of wobbles that they had well, and he, planes wasn't pixar wasn't that no that was like disney's animation oh, they, I it, was, that was pixar. it was just set in the cars world all right I to, because the, the animation looked ridiculously similar no, I, I, it, it, it's basically like a spin-off of cars but it's not done by pixar right, okay Anyway. Oh, just you need an absolute master's degree nowadays to keep track of what universes are and what films or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, no, it wasn't Pixar, it's Disney, but it's a spin off of a Pixar film. Get a, <laughs> you know I mean? like a Somebody get a spreadsheet stat. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh, I thought Inside Out was great. And I, uh, I and to be honest as well, I'm such a softie. I must have cried, and I know him many times during that film, and it really gets me. I think Pixar, you know, when they're done really, really right, are the saddest ones. I mean, is that final scene in Toy Story 3, which is just playing with your childhood I think you know oh, when, like, when you know, they hold hands yeah no, yeah it's oh. uh like that really got to me as well I think it is because I was raised with Toy Story like I remember coming out yeah. and you know seeing it and being like blown away and he sort of grew up with those characters a bit yeah. but yeah I thought Incident was definitely a, a great return to form by Pixar it's got such a, a simple but really beautiful message too like that thing and we we talked about it a while back uh, the realisation at the end that you need sadness to make 
you know, to make the good things better, to uh, actually mm. feel joy. Like, uh, like sadness that's, and joy go hand in hand. That's yeah. a cracking message, like, and especially telling that they weans. I mean, that that, oh, that, yeah. that, that, that that could be a great thing that, that a child will learn, even just through that film. Fair enough, they might not take it all on because maybe, maybe they're not of the kind of intellectual maturity, but it's yeah. uh, just I've, I've, it really stuck with me. Uh, probably because of of its simplicity as well, you know what I mean? Mm. Well, I, I think a lot of that is just down to Pete Doctor, the yeah. director. Because if you look at the ones he's done, of Monsters Inc. up and inside out, they're the three some, duds. <laughs> they're some of the greatest of, of the Pixar ones, but like uh, Pixar have so many good films. Like, but what I notice about his films is he he uses the first like ten minutes unbelievably well. Mm. In Monsters Inc., he had to explain just the word of the monsters. Yep. In Up, he just gave you the complete backstory. He gave you a fucking whole film in the first ten minutes, basically. That's the most heartbreaking film you ever yeah, see. Of, oh, no. of the relationship between uh, the old boy and the doll. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> but, uh, I really hit Mickey hard. So. <laughs> but Newt, then, does it? But then in, in Inside Out... Is it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but then in Inside Out... He uses it to explain how the emotions work, and it's like especially inside out. It's a really it could get really convoluted and really complex yeah. really quickly. Yeah, but he 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 just has a knack for like taking these complex ideas and just explain them really well. Because it's like at the end of the day, it's it's supposed to be for adults and kids, so kids yeah. need to understand what's going on as well. Like. Yeah, because I mean, even when I first seen the sort of trailers and stuff for Inside Out. I was a bit confused with the trailers. I was like, what? Are they representations of emotions and this is inside somebody's head or whatever? Mm. But then, like you say, 10 or 15 minutes in, I was completely on board with what was happening. It just explained everything really concisely and really simply because it could have got really bogged down very quickly. And then if, if you're off in the wrong foot like that after 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to lose interest very, very quickly. Because mm. yeah, then after that then, he just has the rest of all men to take you on this journey. He doesn't need to explain things along the way like it's all just there for you know where you're going now so he can just take you on this emotional journey mm-hmm. even just in, in saying that too even talking about the cast of Unset Out could not have cast that more perfectly as Amy Poehler Happiness yeah you know what I mean definitely. because even just through, and I think it says a lot about voice acting because a lot of people say oh well you know voice acting must be easy it must be well a lot of times it is just a cheap payday for you know a big actor but I thought that was a master class in voice acting because just through her voice alone you, you just it feels like happiness, you know what I mean? Yeah, because she's that excitable. Like and it's just, or sorry, it feels like joy. And then that adds so much to the character and the animation around her. Like, but nah, I really like that. I will, even the rest of the emotions as well. Because sadness as well, I can't even mind her. It's Phyllis something. She was Phyllis in the American office. And her whole character in that era was just kind of always down and like essentially Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, okay. And so, like, she really suited that. And Minnie Kelly as well is like disgust. Like, she can just pull <laughs> yeah, that yeah. thing off. Her, and Bill Hader and the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who was Anger again? I can't remember. Like, it's, an old American yeah. comedian. Oh, didn't he not do Champion Anchorman? Am I wrong with that? Oh, is it Will? Oh, no, no, no. Isn't that Will Kochner? No, it's not him. It's not him? No. We'll find out in a minute. Should have done more research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, okay, spoiler for Inside Out, but it has to be said, so fast forward like 15 seconds. R.A.P. Bing Bong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Don't bring it up, man. That is, I, I, oh, I forgot about that. It's heartbreaking. Okay, stop talking about it. I know, I know. And we're back in the room. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you like about on Saturday, then? Just to look well. I mean, I think <laughs> <laughs> no, but sorry, it's a fine-looking film. <laughs> Lewis no. Black was anger. Lewis, Lewis Black. Black. I'm not going to have the ribbon heard him. 
I think it's one thing that Pixar's always held over DreamWorks as well, is that their films just look better. I mean, I've seen online that uh, DreamWorks all the time gets tied off for the, uh, the DreamWorks smirk, Aye. where it's just a lead character, <laughs> just for this crafty, wee, cheeky grin, you're like, oh, dear. And apart from Shrek, they, well, obviously now How to Train Your Dragon, I thought was very well, That's but brilliant. yeah, it's a great, great film. It really surprised me a couple of years ago now, but uh, yeah, they didn't really, apart from those two, they haven't had the consistency or just to sort of even cultural significance that Pixar definitely have. Yeah, I think as well, I just, I mean, in, in general, when it comes to Pixar tune, it's just screenwriting wise and storyline wise, this guy's like a very basic point, they're just better stories. And I think a lot more care goes on them, whereas, maybe in a slightly cynical way, DreamWorks obviously care about the films they're making and stuff like that, but I don't think that they've got that extra bit of effort put on them, that extra bit of love and detail. It is more just about making a film for wings or for kids and not really thinking about, like, you know, how will adults take this? I think, okay, fair enough, how do you train your dragon and Shrek maybe stand it but because you know p- p- people of all ages combine them but in our DreamWorks I've seen it it, it is very kid oriented and it's yeah. quite alienating for a parent like, like DreamWorks mm. way how do you tra- train your dragon that's the anomaly yeah way Pixar something like Brave or like Cars too. yeah they're the anomalies that they're more focused for kids and stuff like exactly mm. although I still like Brave I love your hair I just want to <laughs> 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 you it's stupid looking good hair Billy Collins on it soon he's my favourite person ever so it gets a pass that? I can't remember. <laughs> He's just definitely in it. <laughs> He's definitely in it, though. Um, the, hey, just a quick thing about Brave as well. The year I came out, it was the year of Wreck-It Ralph as well, and that was Disney Animation. What? Was Pixar. That's Brave. I've, Jesus Christ, I thought Brave's been in for about five years already. Is that only two years old? Was Wreck-It Ralph two years ago? I think so, I. I think Wreck-It Ralph was longer two years ago. No, Jesus. Like two or three, wasn't it? Because they're doing a sequel now. Yeah. Well, no, they... Yeah, oh, they, Wreck-It Ralph. They, they, were the, they were the same year. Oh, shit, okay, fuck. But uh, aye, Disney did Wreck-It Ralph and Brave. Uh, Brave did Pixar. Pixar did Brave. But uh, Brave is like a way more traditional Disney story. And Wreck-It Ralph is like a traditional Pixar thing. Mm-hmm. It takes like this secret word of something and uh, brings it to life. And it, it was just an odd thing that there was nearly like a flip. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't even remember her name now. The character in Brave. I uh, don't know. Uh, but I, lovely hair. But I, she's, <laughs> I mean, she's got like the stereotypical sort of like, yeah, Disney princess role. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that, you yeah, know, yeah. That's what they were sort of looking at. So, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, for Pixar to do that and then Disney do the other one, it's, yeah. It's but uh, what do you call the, the boy that started Pixar? John Lasseter. John Lasseter. He, he's just the head of all animation now at Disney. So, he's in charge of the Disney studios as well at a point because he's the head of all of it. So, maybe he's kind of mixing it up a bit himself with mm. what the. People are doing. Don't think it's any coincidence now, too, that after kind of years of being dormant, Pixar, sorry, not Pixar, Disney are starting to go back to traditional animation again. And I think it may be because John Lester's at the helm. And, are they? You know, well, I mean, like, when it's, that's traditional animation, but non Pixar animation, you know, releases. Like Frozen, Frozen, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. They're oh, going right, back right. that because oh, just that they're doing films. Again. Yeah, they're, exactly. It doesn't they're doing films again. That isn't just Pixar's output. You know what I mean? Oh, right. I think I thought you meant like they're doing like two D animation again. Like, <laughs> are they? <laughs> <laughs> They've got fucking Walter in the crowd chamber. <laughs> In fact, they draw a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I was done making my point there, but you're gonna kick on. Um. Okay. Film I like this year. Oh, jeez. I wonder what this is gonna be. All right, Star Wars. <laughs> no, obviously we've talked about Star Wars death, but it was a great, it was a great film, and I think it, it'll, it'll, I think everybody's just excited to see more of the Star Wars universe, which I think is better than the way the prequels left it. Which so, you just done money. Bar Star Wars. What was your favorite, or not even your favorite? Just the film I mean, you really liked? Just film I liked. Uh, well, kind of. 
comic book films daily. Uh, I think my favorite one was Ant Man. Like I, I like I really like comic book films, but I think Ant Man just it was it felt like something different. Yeah, it felt more stripped back. And in a year where it came out with the second Avengers film, you would think it would be Avengers, but I think I got bored during Avengers. Yeah. I, I got destruction fatigue during the Hulk and. You, Iron Man fight line. You said that when we first discussed uh, the Avengers and Ant-Man months ago and I thought it was a really good point that you made that because the stakes are always so high now in every single superhero film that oh Jesus it's the apocalypse you just it doesn't seem like a threat anymore so it was just nice to see a smaller story like Ant-Man yeah. where the stakes aren't that high and you can just kind of relax a bit and just enjoy the characters and then if they worry about this ridiculous amount of destruction or whatever. Exactly and it just... I think a man just made a lot of sense, even though it sounds like a stupid character. But like, yeah. if you think of it in the sense of, it's just it's it's about the technology of that man's suit. So yeah. obviously, it, that's what brings Michael Douglas out of retirement, and it makes sense that he hasn't been involved in any of the Avengers or any of the previous films because he's in retirement. They like he doesn't want to be Ant Man anymore. But now it's under threat that that technology is going to get out there and. That's why it's that's why it can be a smaller story because it's literally just Michael Douglas's kind of thing, and then Corey Stoll's character and Paul Rudd and stuff. And I just think it felt a lot like the first Iron Man film, where yeah. it was just it was just the stakes is between two people. It's about it's you know what it is? It's rather like, than the end of the world. It's actually about the characters. Yeah. Whereas it's not about this, you know all-powerful force that's come to destroy everybody. It's not about fucking totaling half a city. Ant-Man's interesting because Ant-Man, the character's the main focus. And then, obviously, Paul Rubble's really good casting. And I think what was really good about it is that everybody was so cynical about Ant-Man, including myself, because it just sounds like a fucking stupid character. Yeah, but even yeah. then, when you had uh, Edgar Wright signed on to direct, I was a bit excited about it. Mm-hmm. But then he left, and you've heard about that sort of story before happened with a film that. that just hell. Yeah, and, uh, but I think as well, Ant-Man does really well. It's just a tone. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's funny. It's legitimately funny all the way through. Yeah, and they yeah. sort of... They 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 smirk along with you at the name Ant Man and like are you serious if you know what I mean? So I'd sound that maybe I think Avengers films, as we were saying, yeah, maybe it's all connected that they take themselves too seriously sometimes. I even though they do have jokes in there, it is always they have the big serious dark moments. Yeah, I think though that you're right about the tone with Ant Man. It's not too slapsticky, you know, because obviously there can't be no stakes whatsoever. There yeah. has to be some sticks. It just I sounds did. like I'm really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a vegetarian like the, There has to be some sticks. The, the, the potential of that technology getting out is the end of the world yeah. kind of thing. But it's not that they're... I don't know. It's, it, I just like the fact that it's just about the technology, basically. Yeah. And, it, and that's why it's really reminiscent of the first Iron Man film as well. Although there was a criticism that... A lot of like the the first films for superheroes, the baddie is always just a bad version of yeah, like the, it, the superhero. It's like a stereotypical foil, just you know <laughs> what I mean. Like it's the most basic you can. It's like the the dark side of the mirror, basically. Yeah, it's like we Ant Man Sue just as as a final wee thing. I think we might have discussed this also before, but the cast of Michael Douglas, I just I really liked how they fleshed that character out because it gives you a lineage. Of the character, I think it's one of the first times that you see a superhero who's existed before the actual superhero that we're following in that story. Yeah. And I just like the fact that they actually made him a character and not just your typical, you know, doomed mentor. You know, like a Kwai Won Jin sort of fucking Aye. Uh, Liam Neeson sort of character who's just a standard guy. It's there. It's like, oh, you know, you must do just, this. Just and the yeah, wise old man. Exactly. Yeah. He, you know, you know he's getting killed, even though Michael Douglas doesn't die. Spoiler. But... Uh, <laughs> 
or does he? <laughs> no. But, <laughs> but yeah, it it seemed like in that film as well that Michael Douglas was properly going for it. Like, like he was acting; he wasn't just kind of phoning it in. Yeah, like, oh, exactly. Like comic book. It actually game. seemed like he cared about the character. And, and you're you're right that they give that character enough that that it, there's a character there to play. Kind of. Yeah. I did think though, and I know you're going to hate me for saying this because you're very favourite, but I just, I, I, Evangeline Lilly's character, I, f- I find, I just don't find very interesting. I don't think she served a lot to the plot. I think she, they could have saved think, her for another film. I think she was integral to the plot, Tranko. Ah, see, I, 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 I thought you would say this, but I'm not going to get on the FIB because I'm too hungover. So. All right, I'll just say a few things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Evangeline Lilly's character is, is, is essentially what kicks off the film because she tells Michael Douglas about that. Uh, Corey Stoll's character is create, creating an Ant-Man. So oh, no, I, I think you've, you've misunderstood me. I, obviously, I know that she she plays a part in the plot. I just find her character boring, that's all I'm saying. I find her very limited as an actress, and I don't like her at all. I'm just saying this. <laughs> <day> <laughs> <day. laughs> no, but I think I think she added emotional depth to Michael Douglas's character as well that, and helped explain his backstory more. And as moving forward now, she, she's going to be coming out more and be one of the main characters the next one like the next mm. one's called Ant-Man and the Wasp so she's she's in the title like now Spider front man Spider front man <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't seen it by now fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a review of the year episode like uh, another thing and um, we'll just get off Ant-Man then about Michael Douglas's character that I really liked Hank Pym is that in the comics Hank Pym's character is fucking got a super dark past I think they handled that as well as they could for a Marvel film you know, obviously they've pushed the boundaries about with the TV series, the Netflix TV series, Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Yeah. But we have a twelve A written. There's only so much you can get away with. You I know, couldn't I mean? have him beaten his wife. No, nah, <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't have him beaten his wife. But how they handled that sort of darkness is I there. Know, I, I think know, it, like that you, you, you can tell there's a darkness there, but they don't really need to show it. Like, ah, exactly. It just shows how well Douglas acted. Precisely, it. it's just sort of alluded to. And just one last thing about that man, and compared the Avengers: Age of Ultron, I felt. I felt more emotion when an ant died in that man than w- somebody dying in Avengers. <laughs> and I just think that really sums up that film. <laughs> just shows how well they built those characters. <laughs> oh, because it is emotional like when that happens, that man. But anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, Sean Coyle, film you liked? Well, because obviously this is the Rose of My Interest in Hateful Eight, the f- Film, I think I'm not saying it's the film I like the most this year, but it's definitely one of the one of the standouts. I do think it's one of the best films of the year. Is Ex Machina, oh yeah, which we all thought to think when we first discussed it is brilliant. Oscar it's Isaac, Oscar Isaac, yeah. What's his name? When's he gonna get one? <laughs> no, I don't think he's had that role yet, but I think <laughs> he'll get it. Definitely. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, like, he's he's one of our favorite actors about now, and he's just kind of came out of nowhere in the past couple of years. He was very much a supporting character for a long time. But, Jesus Christ, everything he's been on recently has just been excellent. He's excellent in The Force Awakens. He's excellent in Ex Machina. He was excellent in The Most Violent Year. He, even the small parts in, you know, like, Drive. Uh, what else has he been on recently that we all loved? Leon Davis, you say? And say Leon Davis, of course, mm-hmm. another cracking show. But then in Ex Machina... that TV show as well? Yeah, uh, Show Me a Hero. Yeah. The David Simon one, which appar- I haven't seen that yet, but apparently he's excellent in that too. Yeah. Uh, and now hopefully we're going to get even more good performances as in... Uh, as Poe Dameron, sorry, and you know the the Ken upcoming trilogy, Big Poe. Big Poe. <laughs> yeah, his brother Dipset Dameron as well. I can't wait till he comes into it. His brother, his other brother Cameron Poe. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> but I thought Ex Machina was just a really great sci-fi film. And usually when people think sci-fi, especially people who aren't done the sci-fi, they think you know 
spaceships and aliens and stuff like that there and this is just completely struck back sci-fi and it's just you know that underlying threat that i think everybody i don't think everybody worries about but i think everybody kind of keeps their eye on of, of how self-aware is technology becoming and, and how ridiculously integral is technology becoming to our lives that we actually can't live without it and they just handled so well alicia vikander who plays the robot on it is so enticing and he, 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 she's so sympathetic that it draws you in and then of course that's the big payoff then towards the end of the film that you know has she been playing Donald Gleason the whole time or did yeah. she genuinely feel human emotions and it's never quite answered and even that just adds a wee bit of mystique but it's just so well written looks amazing it's, it's very it's very sanitized that building that sort of compound that Oscar Isaac's you know essentially mad scientist loves him yeah. is it's sort of all asymmetrical it's very Kubrick-esque looking in a lot of shots because it is just these big wide vacant sort of as I said sterile rooms Donald Gleeson is he does what he has to do well I don't think that he has to do a lot he just kind of has to react to well no actually no I'm saying that I'm talking complete balls because <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, because, this, yeah, because the, the scenes between him and Alicia Vikander he, he actually your heart bleeds for him because you can tell that he's lonely and then when he finds out that Oscar Isaac has essentially hacked his whole fucking personal life just to find the most lonely person possible who he can manipulate through this very beautiful robot that he's put yeah. together. That's heartbreaking, like it's crushing. And then he gets completely fucked over at the end as well. But the 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 thing with Ex Machina is the whole way through it, you don't you don't actually know like who's the stereotypical good guy, who's the bad guy. It's all very vague and you don't really know who's telling the truth or not kind of thing. And Watching it a second time, you actually kind of realize that Oscar Isaac is the most honest character in the whole yep. thing, mm, yep. <laughs> and it's it's more Donald Gleason is actually a bit more kind of deceptive in it. Oh, it's, it's very it's very much black and gray morality in there. Like I don't think yeah. anybody's completely fucking clean. Like you know, what I mean, Oscar Isaac is an absolute cunt of a man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He literally keeps his sex slave robots in pieces in his cupboard so he can fucking reassemble them again and have sex with them whenever he wants. Well, where do you keep our sex slave robots? <laughs> I rent mine. But you <laughs> want them getting out, you can take them apart, <laughs> come back together, and you clean them. <laughs> oh, I'm like, you don't be saying you have to clean them. Oh, you, you, oh, you, you don't just, clean yours? You, you just dom it up, dude. <laughs> <you? laughs> I suppose that would be handier. Rather than having to take apart the vagina every time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Maybe uh, maybe whack on a wee spoilers thing before we start talking about it. Oscar Isaac in it is you're right, probably the most honest character. But then you see sort of elements towards the end of Donald Gleason. Obviously, he's been lying to Oscar Isaac. You know, he's he's trying to uh, steal the robot. He's trying to set her free and stuff like that. And then, like we said before, Alicia Vikander's character. You know, is she a bad robot? Who bad robot? Is she a, is she a bad robot who like has no feelings whatsoever, or has she been kind of emotionally shallow and just playing Donald Gleason, yeah. or has she developed on that next stage? And it's just so who who was the writer again? Uh, Alex Garland. Alex Garland directed it as well. Directed it too. That's his first directing. Yeah, and it's you know what a directional debut like uh, superbly written, looks amazing, and again it's sort of that thing with Hit Flight, only it, it does it quite well. I think in that film there must be about four or five characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think. Four. I think about four or five characters throughout that whole film. And the helicopter part of yeah. But I mean, you look at that and, and how struck back it is and how there's no real big special effects scenes, there's no big reaction scenes, maybe bar one or two toward the end. It's all about just really smartly written characters. Try they almost playing like a kind of game of cat and mouse with each other and trying to find out, you know, what each other's motives are for an hour and a half and it's just really, really well handled. I I, I thought it was funny though while I was watching the film that Alicia Alicia Vikander 
looks amazing when you see like her whole robot kind of body and just the actual special effects for it for such a low budget film it looks yeah. amazing that's that's another cracking point that it but, looks uh, but uh they kind of they show that a few times and then oh she just puts on a wig and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff yeah but just but you know what I, I just thought that was funny yeah <laughs> I, I, obviously it's uh, how you can hide the money like <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh I, I do think that that kind of serves a really good purpose too because I've, like your heart warms when you see her, you know, putting on a cardigan and putting on yeah. real people's clothes and stuff like that. And you could, I well, know, you start forgetting that it's. A you see, yeah. Well, first of all, that that's all thing, and I think that's the, another real strength of the script uh, is that you start to kind of be enticed and 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 kind of be allured by this robot at the, the very same sort of stage that Donald Gleason is. You know what I mean? You're both being drawn on at the same time, and I suppose that's why it's so heartbreaking at the end. Because I, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to go that way. I yeah. thought that she was well. You never know, but I, I thought well, obviously she's not genuine because she leaves him for fucking dead. Like spoilers. But okay, really going to have to say spoilers. Shan just can't help spoiling films. <laughs> it's so good. But uh, but I, but th- then there's the whole question mark. Like, was that her from the very beginning, or did she just take that opportunity when it came, kind of thing? Precisely, I think that's what makes it super interesting, and it's one of those things that you know, I I, I love kind of. What's, what's keep, keep you guessing for life. I like it, no, I keep me guessing for life. I, but uh, that's I mean that's a great mistake about the, the end of that film. Like, I, you never know, and you, you really can't pinpoint if it's one or the other. Yeah. And it's one of those things, you know. It's like you know who shot first, Han or fucking Greedo. Han. It's it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those things. No, that's hundred <laughs> percent right answer. Not um, not the voice of God. He doesn't say that. Oh, Sherman's forgotten about him. Though. It's all about the JJ. Uh but yeah, one of the best scenes of the year, just Oscar Isaac dancing like. Aye, what the is man, that about? The man has got some moves like. Uh, the man, well, the man <laughs> is obviously a cracking actor. Apparently he's a very good musician as well and he's got fucking feet to kill. <laughs> and you know what? So you see, if you compare it to two dance scenes of the year, I would definitely pick his over Ben Mendelsohn's and Lost Rivers. That's River. what it's pretty Because <laughs> like, when that started happening, Lost Rivers, like, this is like nearly like an ex-machina kind of thing, but... <laughs> Way weirder, yeah. Well, maybe not way weirder, but no. I was crazy. It's pretty casual. Well, has done some Ben Mendelsohn really gets on there, like yeah. really sexes that up, like. <laughs> uh, Daniel, do you have a bad film, good film, Dis- it. disappointing film? I hate all films. He hates all films. I hate all films. Uh, well, name one. <laughs> he, he does this ironically. This podcast, actually, this year we're counting the UK calendar and Herent Vice. Yeah, but then I suppose I've talked about that before, haven't I? I mean, we're going to also. I don't, I don't think you've talked about it. You've talked about it a bit. Aye. Not a lot. It's class. It is. Released That's in January too, so Aye. just about Slop Sunday 2015. Into the microphone, Daniel. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah, well, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, my faves. PTA to no one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, just, it's a great film where you have this sort of idea. It's, the 60s are over, and we're into the 70s. It's sort of Watergate era of America where, like, you know, the American dream's definitely gone bad in California, and yeah. it, even the trailer says it so well with this great voiceover that comes on throughout the film uh, that the, the the haze and the fun of the 60s had given away to paranoia. And, you know, it's sort of got that notion all the way throughout it where there's uh, this Doc Spartolo is helping out uh, an ex-girlfriend of his, but uh, he keeps on hearing these allusions to a golden fang. And, you know, all the way along the film, different people all over allude it and just everybody's corrupt and yep. they're alluding to this one idea of the golden fang which it turns out it's an insurance scam by a dentist but then also it's a way that Spoiler. somebody <laughs> uh, somebody assassinates someone else but then also it's a boat that dr- runs drugs it's also the name of this cartel that runs the drugs so yep. it's got this entire idea where the California just seems like this 
place where everybody's lost and doesn't yeah. know what's going on. And is this the, the hangover of the 60s? Like, you know, writ large. Uh, the, the film doesn't make sense <laughs> Sorry, at all. No, just the way you said that is like the hangover, the Zach Alphanakis film of the <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what's going on that. It's, it's, it's just the way, the way I heard it or whatever. Just like, is this the hangover? <laughs> 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 oh, <it is. laughs> is X Machina 2015's the hangover? Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's exactly the same. Um, uh, X Mac and a Bangkok. Anyway, continue. Let's just say, I mean, it's got some great performances. Uh, I, as much as I don't really like him in a lot of stuff, I think uh, Luke Wilson, not Owen Wilson, sorry, is great in it. Yeah. I think he's, he's very funny. Uh, there's a lot of this thing through the film where he's Doc, yeah, Quinn Phoenix, he's also great in it, he's working on two cases at once, but the way that they sort of cross over each other and line up don't doesn't really actually make sense. You know, if you sat yeah. down and tried to map out the story and see, right, sure, he's here and he says this, but then how does that work? It doesn't. Yeah, yeah you, the, the, the actual film is just nonsense. But I think that's it's obviously deliberate. It's not a, a mistake. That's that that, that's like it's an allusion to like a kind of classic fall in the wires too, like the big sleeping stuff, which are almost impossible to follow plot wise. I mean, it's on as well. It was roughed on with the big Lebowski that that roughs on the old Chandler and Dashiell Hammett novels. Mm. And I think that you're saying that. They try and present LA as being this just kind of den of inequity, this place that's super, super shitty, and everybody's sort of lost in time. And that's exactly what I get with Doc Sportillo, because Doc Sportillo is very 60s counterculture, but then when he's going through the 70s LA, which is getting a lot more conservative, especially when he's contrasted with uh, uh, Josh Brolin's character. What do you call him again? Josh Brolin's character in that film? Uh, Panakeko, was it? And now it's Moto <laughs> Panakeko. I can't remember his name. I don't oh, even... it's some Victor Bowler. I'd say, oh, God, I'm kick myself I know, here. but it's like, Josh Brolin's character is sort of the ultimate representation, I think, of sort of Nixon, conservative, a Republican, sorry, America, whereas Doc Sportillo is very much, you know, free love, counterculture. And even in how you... They've dressed Joaquin Phoenix in that film. It doesn't seem like he's loving on the right decade. It's, mm. He's still got a hang up. He's, he's he's sort of not moved on with the times, and that's why he can't really not only understand this ridiculously confusing plot, but he doesn't really seem to understand anything that's going on around him. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because he's he hasn't moved on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a great scene near the end where it seems that somebody's sent Doc up, and he just this voiceover talks to him and says, "Yeah, Stoner." Uh, ESP doc you know and uh, it's like it, it doesn't even catch on through what a normal hero would through deduction and reason and piecing stuff together with a word he actually just literally just weasel oh what I don't feel right about this and he, <laughs> you know, he checks the video and he's right and yeah uh, 
I think just you know, the source material as well. Pinch on's great. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a it's a fantastic book, and it's it's pinch on light because I don't think he could really do any of his other books. Yeah, because it's so dense. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think it was in great hands with PTA. I mean, it's, it's a great mood to the film. The music's used very well. Uh, there is that hazy sort of mythic of what does this shot mean? What does this idea mean? Type way. Like, there's a scene with pizza with. Uh, Luke Wilson, where they reach down and someone takes a picture and it looks very much like The Last Supper. And you're like, well, why does it look like The Last Supper for? Yeah. And, you know, you don't really know. Yeah, but it is like LA. as The myth is writ large in front of you. And, uh, yeah, no one can really make sense of it. Two questions. Go. One, and this is for both these. Mm. Who is your favourite Wilson brother? <laughs> I don't know. Owen, I'd say. I like Owen. I don't mind look. I don't know. I, I, can I just say both? <laughs> what about rain? I I, I, I see. Rain. <laughs> I, I know. I'm not even forgetting about rain. It's just I never I really forgot about rain. I forgot about <laughs> rain. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, everybody want to talk like that. That goes up with lives. Just one gibberish. Funny shit. Forgot about rain. <laughs> 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 I, no, I don't forget about rain. It's just I've never been. I never really got on the, the American office in a big way, and I know that most people who fucking have a stuffy for Rain Wilson is because apparently he's what is he Dwight Schrute or something like that? Dwight Schrute. Dwight Schrute. He, well, he essentially, as the series continues, he, he think he could be like a neo-Nazi kind of character. <laughs> 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 it's very strange. But yeah, yeah, he is really funny. Though. Your favorite Wilson? Then? I own. I probably say I uh, enjoy him in the Royal Tenenbaums. And I dressed up as him for Halloween this year. Oh, that's as look. Richie that's look. That was a look. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have got me on. I'm still <laughs> definitely drunk. I can't do anything. You said you didn't like Owen normally, but you liked him in a hair and vice. No, there we go. I, I got confused. No, it's look. <laughs> looks the one I like. Owen's one. Apparently, Owen's a dick. Really? I uh, hear like loads of stories about that. You know, on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so you know they're true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Second question. Uh, I heard about Inherent Vice that originally PTA wanted Robert Downey Jr. to play the title character. No. No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just saying, thank fuck it, I don't. You prefer whacking. I think he's he's one of the actors who doesn't act enough, and then when he kind of went on that self-imposed semi-retirement, I was devastated. I still don't think... Well, I mean, obviously, it's totally up to himself, but he's very choosy with his roles and every role that he's chosen in the past like four or five years you're about Joaquin Phoenix oh, Joaquin Phoenix I <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> he's really, Robert Downey Jr. is really choosy with his roles after his self-imposed retirement it actually works <laughs> he won't take any role that way <laughs> but uh, apparently the highest paid actor now in Hollywood too yeah it's all the Marvel movies yeah it's all like Iron Man he gets like 100 million of all Jesus Wept, but uh, yeah, Wacky Vegas, right? Choose his roles. All the ones they chose in the past few years, like a uh, really underrated gem, we've done a few years back. We're going to Paltrow, two lovers, excellent. Uh, her, obviously, Spike Jones, that was last year, absolutely excellent. And then Heron Vice is absolutely excellent. And I think just Robert A. Jr. now has a for me, maybe kind of typecast himself. You don't actually see a Robert Downey Jr. performance anymore. It's just him being Robert Downey Jr. and quipping, and yeah. it just wouldn't have worked. He wouldn't have brought. I don't think he would have brought that delicacy or that sort of stupidity or that kind of lostness to the role of of uh, of, Doc. of of Doc Spartillo, uh, that, that the Joaquin Phoenix done. I think it would be too kind of quippy and trying to be overly cool, whereas Doc Spartillo's release was supposed to be sort of a joke. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I think like, I think Joaquin Phoenix is a phenomenal actor. I mean, seen him in The Master, which is a role that obviously very very damaged individual who. Yeah, lashes out and, you know, is, is obviously a very bestial nature. But then if you compare that to someone like Doc Sportello, who is just 
reminds me of you in a way, Mikey, just bumbling through life <laughs> and doesn't really know what's happening. But he does in a far more stoned way. Well, yours is more of a drunk <laughs> look. Yeah. I'll patch her a fall in the war with Mikey as a PA. <laughs> so good. We can make it happen, Jim. <laughs> we can make it happen. See, it just wouldn't work out because he doesn't leave the house. <laughs> but the mystery could be in the house. The mystery of the lost sausage roll. The mystery is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've solved that last year if you guys. Um, <laughs> Where's Suggy's bone? <laughs> um, okay, I really just want to see now a trench coat enough at the road. Go on, speaking your fall in the wire voice. It's fast talking high trousers. Fast talking high trousers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I threw you in like right. Chief Wiggum at the end there. Right. <laughs> 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 um, okay, uh, I want to kind of go on to maybe some films that we were surprised by like you didn't have big expectations for or some films you were disappointed by that you thought it was going to be great or but it ended up being shite i i could kick it off with a disappointing film yeah and not that i had really great expectations for a film but i thought it was at least going to be good and it was fantastic four yeah well, i had no expectations I know, that whatsoever you, you hate fantastic four just yeah. in general but right if if you just imagine right you don't know what film i'm talking about it's right. It's superhero film. Josh Trank, just straight off Chronicle. You're going to get Miles Teller, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, and Jamie Bell. All great actors. Yeah. All really young talent. Like the new yeah. generation, really. That should have been a good film. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it wasn't really marketed that well over here, was it? I'm not sure. It wasn't sure, really marketed at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't the US it one was... at all. Like, sort of pushed a bit more at the release over there. I no, think they it, were. No, it's. They, by, by the time that film was coming out, they were hiding that film. They like yeah. they, they didn't screen it for reviewers or anything like that. Yeah. They were hiding the fuck out of that. They were film trying to bury they, it. They knew it was a bad film. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, especially we like the the sort of streak that the Marvel are on. I think it sort of they thought it might have tainted it in a way. You know what well, I mean? No, it was, it's fucked. I try fuck shit there, but I mean with that, that's that's another reason why I thought it would be because. Fox kind of was back on track with doing good X-Men films mm-hmm. because they, they had a few dodgy ones with like uh, uh, the Wolverine Origins and X-Men 3. But then they kind of righted that way first class and Days of Future Past. Both really good, and yeah. They were kind of getting back on track with their comic book properties and then they were rebooting Fantastic Four with a great director, great cast, and it just, it should have been good. <laughs> yeah, it should itself. I think as well, do, do you think that I kind of had this one, not really had, I didn't come up with this today, but I read it somewhere else that do you think that especially the way they marketed it over here and the way they marketed it in America and how they tried to bury it wasn't just because of the film's quality but because they assumed that a lot of people hadn't really got over the hangover the bad taste of the previous two which are also pretty fucking bad? No, I, 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 would, I would say it's just fully because they knew it was a bad film and they were trying to hide it. I wouldn't say it's it, it's anything from a hangover from the previous two because they would have known that going in anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they... they they w- they would have been trying to shake off this the stigma of them with the marketing if anything. I've always just thought it's fantastic for in general. Maybe it's because of my own dislike, but I don't think they have enough pull. I don't think they're popular enough. They kind of reboot. They used to be. I mean, it's that sort of Captain America stigma that used to be really really popular. But yeah. you can't you can sort of modernize and make Captain America interesting, which they've done in a very smart way by actually playing on the fact that you know. He's kind of out of time as well, and you know he used to be really over the top and naff and American, but now he's modernized and he's kind of outside of his own world and he's learning now about the, you know the the twenty first century. Was a Fantastic Four just really one no boring as fuck characters? You know what I mean? Yeah. He, uh, there's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of stuff would, that you can do with them. It it seems like they can't seem to crack it, but mm-hmm. the, like from what I heard, the problems way this one is that the the studio just 
and they they interfered when it was in production. Post production, yeah. they can say we want this, we want this, blah blah. They agree with the director. That's all fine. But they came in. Well, I think it was a couple of days before actually starting production, and they said, "Oh, we want to save some money on the budget, so cut out two action beats, yeah, or three already, action yeah. beats." Yeah. And so that's that's all your action. The film is actually. I, I know, you know it's a I mean? comic book film. I mean, that's what it's meant to be about. You know, yeah, if you're, you're not going to Fantastic Four to get the the character development, actu- really. actually <laughs> watching the film, it is very evident. Mm. where uh, Josh Trank kind of walked away from the film and like someone else started editing that film. Yeah. <laughs> because there's... Because the, the actual beginning of it, is, it's 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 all right. Like it, they have a kind of interesting uh, relationship with Ben Grimm and Miles Teller. And Sir Reed Richards. Best. Reed Richards, there you go. Because uh, they, like, they, they grew up together as kids and they, like... Uh, uh, Reed Richards is the genius, then Grimm is like the guy that kind of helps him with things and all that. And there's an interesting relationship, and the whole aspect of when they actually get their powers, and it's nearly like a body horror kind of thing. That it, well, the first time you see Miles Teller, and they actually have him strapped down with his, all his big arms and big legs, <laughs> like, it's 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 kind of horrifying. And you see the thing breaking out of just this big rock, and he he thinks he's covered, and like he thinks he's like been buried or I something. I have been buried been and, and he's <laughs> and he's but he's shouting for Reed like help Reed and all this here. But it, it's just him, you know what I mean? And that that is scary. And they could have really fu- kind of played with that more. The cry Cronenberg's fantastic for him. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what we that's what we kind of spoke about before that you but actually seen those as was, you, but you said that originally that you thought that it was quite Cronenberg esque and actually it was kind of unsettling. You you kind of wished that. Yeah, because that's like the, some of the original trailers, it, it was coming across like that thing. Because that's a different angle that no sort of superhero films really truly delved into before. Is that sort of adjustment period of you know kind of overcoming the psyche of having these mm. fucking crazy powers? Like you know what I mean? So, mm. but what what they do in the actual film is you get maybe about five minutes of that, and then goes black one year later. Ah, and then that's just when everything is just cut short. Nothing makes sense. Just everything's just awful uh, is it really like that bad like it doesn't make narrative sense like it's not consistent or is it just that it's it's badly paced or not enough happens it's it's badly put together if you really want the stress test the actual plot maybe you could do but the like the end and we doom it doesn't really make sense mm. because i'm going to spoil it for you because it's shit film you don't watch it but <laughs> <laughs> but, but me saying it shit as well it's not like the worst film ever it was just it was a bad film but uh, no, D- Doom. The way he gets his powers, he he essentially gets lost in this kind of other zone place where they all get their powers. So he's left there. So they think he's dead, basically. Yeah. But then they they go back into this thing. They try and like take away the Fantastic Four powers because they don't want their powers or whatever. And uh, then Doom come comes out of that, and they they find him like unconscious, and he's covered he's covered in all this here metal green shit and all this here. And then he wakes up, and then he just starts blowing up people's heads with his mind <laughs> and he's just walking away and he's just popping heads all over the shoulder <laughs> and uh his whole plan is to destroy the earth and go back to his own kind of nether zone world mm. i was like why didn't you just stay there in the first place <laughs> like, yeah. he can just go back there I don't, and, and why do why, why do you have to pop these people's heads how does that get you to your goal exactly. and then <laughs> for the, the evils and just then at, at ah. the at the end he's having a fight with uh uh mr fantastic just pop his head you know what I mean? <laughs> ah, you really struggle my big richard's name aren't you <laughs> i know i can't get it 
I keep on, I keep on just wanting to say uh, fucking Miles Teller. But anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you you could just easily pop his head if you're if you want to pop everybody's head, like. You know? <laughs> so just doesn't make sense, and it's just bad as well. Yeah. But yeah, so surprising film, disappointing films. Uh, I wouldn't say surprising, but a film for me that I wasn't really looking, f- wasn't that really looking forward to. It. I just didn't have any expectancy of it, but it actually turned out to be a pretty solid, enjoyable watch. It was Creed. Oh. Uh, seen that a few weeks back. Now I just sort of assumed that right, this is you know Sylvester Stallone or the Rocky series. Just this is the the last hurrah. This is them run night eight is so much so they don't even have Rocky in the title anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like they're moving on now to Apollo Creed's son. I thought that it was going to be a standard boxing film. What's his name again? Oh fuck! I can't. It's it's dig- Dignity Creed or, or Dignity no, Jackson or something no, like that. Dignity. It's, it's it's Sean Jackson. It's ludicrous. Like yeah, yeah check it out. <laughs> but. I thought it was going to be your standard box, and fair in many ways it is. Like, I mean, there's nothing in Creed that really surprised you. It had all the same narrative beats that most boxing films do, you know what I mean? He's, he's the underdog, and nobody really believes in him. He's off the street, and there's the sort of big... Adonis. Adonis. <laughs> that's, 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 Adonis Johnson. Adonis Johnson, you what a, a name. You need to be a tank with a name like that. Like. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's it. That's setting a level of expectancy, naming mm. a Wayne Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> so, especially when your dad's Apollo Creed. Like. <laughs> but it... Is sort of standard fare in many ways, but it's just one of those films that it, it just does everything so so well. There's a unbelievably surprisingly good performance from Sylvester Stallone. Obviously, he's he's a pretty limited actor. I wouldn't say Sly Stallone's a bad actor, but really heartfelt one in this. And it almost seems like it's just Rocky now come full circle and possibly the last time you'll see Rocky. Like it says in the trailer, Rocky's sick. Rocky's sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's your favorite line in any trailer. It's just the way he says it. Rocky's sick. It's like no, no, it's like. It's like it's, it's like your dog being sick or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Michael B. Jordan as well, he's absolutely excellent in it. Obviously, he fucking needed a bit of career resurrection after the film that you just talked about. No, I fucked. Yeah, so he's brilliant. The uh, the boxing scenes are great. There's a couple of subplots on there about the relationship between Rocky and the Creed family and then obviously has guilt about training Michael B. Jordan because Rocky still kind of feels guilty that he let Apollo Creed die at the hands of Ivan Drago and stuff like that. Yeah. And it just ties on all the other films really, really well, but never hits the nail on the head too hard. It's not like, oh, this is what I, you know, because Star Wars was kind of accused that, like, I oh, remember what happened and you know, A New Hope, I remember what happened in uh, Empire or Jedi or whatever. It just kind of does it very subtly. And then, as I say, the boxing scenes too are really, really kinetic. They're really well shot. One of them is actually done on a one shot, and it's the two actors properly boxing, and it is really, really, really impressive. So, hey, just good performances all round. It's is, not. It, is his is his opponent an actual boxer? Or yeah, he is a a Liverpoolian boxer, Scouser fella. Cannot remember his name, but that is again that, is that the boy that says you're no Creed, no. I know you're no Creed, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what he calls he he's pretty good as well. I mean, I I think that they realised his limitations as an actor, so Aye. they very much keep him in the background. He only really kind of steps up towards the end as as the big. Uh, Antagonist, mm. but in fairness, he's not really the main focus. You know, the main the main story is about just Adonis trying to or not Adonis. I I Adonis, right? Fucking hell, I keep forgetting yeah. his name. I keep <laughs> I keep meaning to say Apollo, but it's just basically about Adonis trying to make it as a boxer and show that he can be a boxer. And I just like that sort of thing that they did, where he's not using the crude name because he doesn't want to get like he essentially doesn't want to get lauded just because of who his dad was you know what I mean he wants to do it himself although I did think it a wee bit stupid to, like they, they don't find out that he's Apollo Creed's 
Sunderland until like two minutes before the last fight, and it's like, come on. No. In, the, in the modern day with the internet and everybody knows everything, that would have been fucking found out straight away. Yeah. But uh, this, so that's that as we put in the afternoon, right? Just good performances. Ro- Rocky hacked them. He stopped them from <laughs> finding out about it. <laughs> Rocky sitting on his wee computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those fucking 95, really. <laughs> Cyberbullying boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's only fighty ones, though. <laughs> <laughs> but now. It's really, really good. And I mean, that could actually be uh, another possible franchise because even if they, they don't have the Rocky character in there, they could. I think that Michael B. Jordan's that good in that role that that could be maybe a continuation of the Rocky series. I bring Drago back. That's <laughs> what he says that last <laughs> time. So Drago's loving his, uh, his, his commoner's <laughs> Russian cave uh, in his cryo chamber. <laughs> raising up like a fucking vampire. <laughs> 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 raising up like a Soviet vampire. <laughs> 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 but, uh... Yeah, I heard uh, Sylvester Stallone's amazing on it, though. Brilliant, brilliant. Po- possible Oscar contender? Possible Oscar nomination. I think he got nominated for a Golden Globe. And it'd be nice to see because yeah, he's... He was nominated for a couple of awards, anyway. I don't know if it was... I don't think he won it, but it'd be nice to see him get a nod. Although, I always forget he's won an Oscar already. For Rocky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not an actor Oscar, obviously, but, I mean, it's he just never really considered Stallone in that sort of conversation. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you forget that Rocky won Best Picture. Yeah, exactly. Beat Star Wars. <laughs> I don't beat Star Wars. That's, that's get you this that, day, Mickey. No, but that's the funny thing. Someone pointed out to me that, like, uh, Rocky beat Star Wars back in 1977, and now there's a new Rocky film and a new Star Wars film Aye. coming out in the same year. Oh, yeah. not even the same month. I think they were both released. Fucking hell, like, I, gee, I never even considered it. But, uh, no, surprise that. Beat Star Wars again. Creed is not going to be one best picture. You know what I mean? It's not going to be fucking nominated. Like, but Creed uh, doesn't break the mold, but just everything's done very, very well. I don't know, Weinstein could get behind it. Like, he, he could make it happen. <laughs> uh, Daniel? Oh, that was a surprising film. Surprising or disappointing? <laughs> surprising ah, film, isn't it? Surprising <laughs> film. Uh, surprising. <laughs> I'll just even talk about it again, but I, I had problems with The Martian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Disappointing problems? Disappointing <laughs> problems, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a lot in there that like obviously like well shot. Damon's quite a good performance. It's a good story, you know. It's smart in places like the way he obviously fixes certain things and you know grown especially uh, grown them spuds uh, shit spuds <laughs> shit spuds yeah uh, especially with the way he communicates. Eventually, he gets communication back to Earth. And I think it's all really smart, and really well done. But just tonally, I think it's just it's just. God, it's too slapsticky, too comedic. It's, it's too yeah. It is kind of all over the place at times. I like. I mean, a I film. Like <laughs> it was. It was good. Like, it's not the worst film I've ever seen. It's, it's actually pretty good. But just you know, but near the end where it's like, oh, but I want to fight like Iron Man, and like, oh, <laughs> just shut up. I know. It's just this is shit. Like you know that you could die. That's yeah. I mean, like, I'm sorry, man. Respect your life. You, you, could, mean? you can fucking die, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do sort of get it. It's like very from fucking Jessica Chastain. <laughs> <laughs> you could die, man. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but is that whole thing that he's he has the space madness at that at that stage or something? Because I, I didn't get he that. Has, he essentially rocketed without any fucking ship around him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's that sort of idea that you know, obviously, it's like praising like this sort of inventiveness all the way along and this resilience that it has. And yeah, yeah. I get that. That's great. But a film that I really enjoyed a lot more, and maybe you could say it somewhere, would be Moon. Yeah. And I think Moon's yeah. got the tone down a lot better, if you know what I mean. It sort of seems to fit that actual narrative and the plot, while Martian, to me, feels a bit too well, slapsticky, with I, the word to use, or I even, think, like, it's jokey. I, I like, think even just, I, I, I kind of like the joking aspect of it, and I mean, like, I think I kind of took everybody by surprise. I think most people were assuming that it was going to be sort of akin to Yolo Ridley Scott 
as sci-fi is like mm. maybe a Prometheus having you know, a bleaker sort of darker tone so I like that he changed up a bit because I, I can't really remember a sci-fi film with that sort of storyline than is as comedic so it was refreshing to see but then at the same time I think maybe they overstepped the mark sometimes because you know what I mean you're, you're trapped on space alone and you're thinking that you know the next time that you might be able to see somebody even if you can is four years and you have to survive on what is near enough an uninhabitable planet and he's cracking these jokes and fucking dancing about the place and all and you're like but, that, nah. but that's that's how he's coping though like if he actually stopped for a minute and realised the situation he was in like he wouldn't be able to yeah but I think shit. I think they should have shown at least one or two scenes I'm, like that I'm you know just a bit yeah just to come because he doesn't break one so it doesn't it seems like a walk in the park for him you know what I mean it uh, doesn't like, well he is a botanist <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like well they, played. They a, <laughs> like, even like the cameo by Donald Glover as well. Like it just annoys me. It's like it's just stupid that he comes in and he's oh he's just weird because he's a genius. And then the way he explains like you know oh if they like swing back around using our atmosphere and everything, and it's just because he's so flippant and offhand. It's like is this SNL that I'm watching? Do you mean yeah? It's, I I just didn't like it. Surely not TV. Not TV then yeah, but uh, nah. Um, no, but were you comparing it to Moon though? I like I think Moon it's way more isolated because it is just Sam Rockwell. And the the bits I, I enjoyed the most about the Martian is just Matt Damon on his own, just talking to the monitor or whatever. Just yeah. cast away in space, basically. <laughs> but uh I uh, Blast away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but the the fact that they keep on cutting back to Earth and the whole rescue mission and all like like I would have actually really loved if it was literally two hours of Matt Damon on his own because that it, it would have been so ballsy to do that. I yeah. know they would have never done that, but those mm. those were the my favorite moments of it, and I think that's why you like Moon more. It's just because that's all Moon is. Essentially. I yeah. think I, I just think it's a super performance from Damon too because it's a, it is a great. I think the reason it stood out to me is it's the first time in a long time that I've seen Damon kind of. Cut loose about than do so on a wee bit more comedic, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's been very political recently as well. You know, you haven't, you haven't seen him in a lot. Aye, because he hasn't been doing as many movies. Uh, also, I just to see him in a lead of a film. Yeah, because <laughs> he's he's been doing these kind of weird cameos nearly in some films like Interstellar. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> what was the other one? I don't know. I was going to say True Grit. That was ages ago. Yeah, just shows how long it's been since it worked. Per Matt's price, star, he probably needs a paycheck at this point. <laughs> also. Spoilers for the Martian, but Sean Bean's on it, doesn't he? I know. <laughs> What's up with that? Oh, I, I, I think there's an after credit scene. I'd there. say so. There's definitely... <laughs> just Matt Damon knifes him at the end. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely a stinger there, like, you yeah. know what I mean? I, would, I, I think, again, that, that was something kind of great. They've got this really, really good secondary cast, and, like, Jeff Daniels and Sean Bean, but they feel kind of wasted, you know what I mean? Mm. It just feels like... Not, not, not wasted, but it just feels like there's not enough of them to do. Yeah, and then when you have the scene where it's the American, like, their last chance to like shoot off a rocket before like the Chinese, we're just completely spoiling the film here, but uh, <laughs> you just know that's going to blow up. You know that's yeah. going to And it just seems that while there are bits with the Damon character that are really well done, like he makes the alphabet with the camera and everything like that, uh, the actual bits on the ground are really just beat by beat, you know. Yeah, they are. Ju- I mean, like, there's nothing really inspiring or overly creative about the scenes on Earth. I know exactly what you're talking about. They are just there to serve a very distinct narrative purpose. It's, I, it's obvious. I think it's it's obvious that, like, Ridley Scott put his more attention and they make in all Damon's bits yeah. work because that's the most of the, that's the most close they actually adapted from the book because yeah. of all the actual science that's in the book as well that he really had to make those beats work. Big time. Feel. I think then that the stuff on Earth then is just very much the it's the glue that holds the gear. You know, it's it's the more structural kind of scenes that maybe get a, a, a wee bit an off an afterthought. An afterthought. Necessary bits that like you have to eat your veg with your meat. Like yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and saying that as well, you're talking about uh, 
The Martians, great secondary cast. I think Moon has an even better one. Kevin Spacey, but also Matt Berry. Hello, <laughs> Matt, Matt Berry's on there. Matt Berry's on there. Matt you know, Berry's on Moon. Whenever they talk right. on like the radio at like the start before like they have the crash into the antenna and everything, one of the people that's saying, "Oh yeah, we'll get you back." Now is Matt Berry. Already, <laughs> <Hi, laughs> but he's only got like the two lines or whatever, and then that's it. Yeah. Uh, does what he, was does he really stretch out Moon? <laughs> moon. 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 <laughs> 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 Where's that man's Oscar? <laughs> Talking about Oscar season there. <laughs> um, a surprising one for me as well because I, I did want to see the film, but then I heard bad things about the film, so I was just all right, don't see it. And it's Pixels. Yeah. I, I watched it over Christmas. I got given it as a gift, so I thought I'll watch it. <laughs> and uh, as you do, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as what it, people kind of made it out to be. I really? Feel. It's like. It's like Adam Sandler stuff recently. It's it's it either goes two ways of he's a cookie character and everyone else is reacting to him, or everybody else is mental and he's reacting to everybody else, yeah. and he's just the kind of cool kind of middle aged man or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, cool middle aged man. He's got that. He's got that marker corner. <laughs> oh gee, I can't wait to be fifty and just be like Adam Sandler. <laughs> so I really hope I don't reach fifty now. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just hanging about me all the time. Hanging about with Adam Sandler. That's what I got to look forward to. <laughs> but uh, there's, I know there's, there's a lot of just odd bits in it. Like Kevin James is Adam Sandler's best friend and also the president of the United States. Oh uh, yes, of course. And you, and you just think, why would anyone vote for Kevin James? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, but the bits I actually did really enjoy is. The, the spectacle of it all and it, it's it's just a kind of family adventure film really and just the actual spectacle of the video games and them fighting them and it made me realise that I actually really like Josh Gad I mean we've talked about him before and I've said I've liked him in a few things but I actually liked him in this film and I liked him in Wish You Were Here two bad films that well I'm not saying Pixel's bad but it's not great now. but um, he, he, he seems to stand out for me in films so I think I like Josh Gad, which is odd to say. Is uh, this is this Olaf? Olaf, yeah. From Frozen. Aye, he was Zach Braff's brother, and wish I was here. Yeah, which and he doesn't need to be there either. Like. I I know he doesn't need to be there, but he's good on it. I think. Nah. Uh, well, has has scenes kind of stand out, even though they are barely relevant to that plot whatsoever. On this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pixels is just. It, I think it. If you're a kid, you like it. But you, you might. You are, so that's what I works. am a child. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I think you enjoy the spectacle of like seeing Pac Man, bit about the streets. But also, Adam Sandler, obviously, he's minted now, absolutely loaded. <laughs> How did he make so much money? Because he was good at the start. Yeah. <laughs> Big Daddy like, and the Wedding Singer and stuff, that was like a, a false dawn. He lured us some of those well, semi decent comedies. Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Happy so. Gilmore and Billy Madison, too. They have like little Nicky and Waterboys, which really stands out. It's yeah. Pretty per. I, I, I still like. Those films as well. I think yeah. a, I think a wedding singer is one I actually really like and could yeah. go back to. Uh, all the I time. think there's only like two. I think even I used to love Big Daddy as a kid, uh, probably because I didn't love my own father. Shan, <laughs> <laughs> you you bring this up on the podcast too much for it not to be not serious. This is my therapy session, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I I still could kind of go back to that. Bully Madison is really fucking stupid now going back there, but there's some kind of strong, there's some strong I'd, elements. I'd, I'd say I'd still be able to enjoy Happy Gilmore, but I haven't seen it. I think that's probably my favourite one, Happy Gilmore. I think it's just the most consistently funny. You know, I mean, it's all in the hubs, man. That's a <laughs> phenomenal character. I, Tubbs. Like, like, Happy Gilmore's probably the best kind of full-on comedy, yeah. but then The Wedding Singer just has a wee note for me because it's, like it's, a, it's a good romantic comedy, like, and I do have a wee soft spot for Drew Barrymore and the wee song at the end. 
Ah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And Blader's on a plane on it. So yeah. what, what more do you want? What more do you want? A disappointment for me this year was uh, Tomorrowland. I remember like sort of building up towards Tomorrowland. We were kind of excited about it. We thought that it was going to be a good film and it just really falls flat. I think like I said when we originally talked about it on the podcast is that it's called Tomorrowland. They built up all the marketing campaign, all the trailers about this place called Tomorrowland, which looks really, you know, visually striking, and you kind of want the whole film to be set there and you know explore this new world. And you don't really get to see Tomorrowland. You know what I mean? It's more about the build up of them trying to get there. The whole science that you used to about how they transport from the real world to Tomorrowland, it didn't really make sense. Not that it has to make sense, but it just jarred me in, in what was actually going on or how they actually got there. And. Uh, the girl who's supposed to be like fifteen, the lead character, looks about twenty five. That fucking <laughs> that 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 you did as well. George Clooney. Well, what what's she like as an actual performance though? Because from the trailer, she looked pretty good. Yes, it is a good performance. Like you know, there, there's no doubt in that. But like, again, her, her character's very one note. George Clooney's character's very one note, and I mean, like I'm a massive George Clooney fan, but for an actor as an actor as talented as him, he can't really do much with. And as well, he comes off as a bit of a dick. Just you know the way usually you got that. Hardened old sort of mad scientist, Oscar Isaac esque, and like uh, the the kid is trying to enlist the help and stuff like that, and at the start they're kind of against it because they don't want to go back to tomorrow, and he doesn't want to go back there because he's got a bad experience at the place. But then stamp his hand when he left. Yeah, but even like after, <laughs> even <laughs> <laughs> did you just? I just that got that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but even. <laughs> Even after George Clooney kind of warms there and stuff like that, he just kind of comes off as a bit dislikable and he's not really... He's, he, George Clooney's King Charisma, you know, yeah. Mr. Charm, and that doesn't really shine through. It's a very, like, a tired performance. It just seems like he's not really interested in the role whatsoever. Do you think it would have been better if it was The Rock in that role? Man, man, French, man, Jesus Christ, many times I say man. <laughs> I'm trying to get that sense out. Absolute. Absolute franchise record. Just, just thinking about me, Rock, me, just man, man, man. <laughs> <laughs> my tongue just started shaking when you mentioned him. Like, I think my tongue was like having a fucking heart attack or something. I'm definitely like, it's withdrawal something. I think it's telling me to a 10 glass of vodka or something. I think you just want The Rock's D on that though. I want all that D, man. <laughs> all fucking every inch. But uh, yeah, probably. Why was that? Was there rumours of that? No, just he's very charismatic. <laughs> ah, he's super charismatic. Franchise Viagra. What would be the man, best man. film to like, improve by making The Rock the lead? Oh. Lincoln. <laughs> I think he could do it. <laughs> Rock bottom slave owners just. <laughs> <laughs> People's elbows on the plantations. Uh, Four score a million to The Rock fans. <laughs> See, the, the, the common answer for any of these kind of questions is obviously Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> What could the rock? I what 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 franchise could the rock turn around? Or what phone would he make ten times better? Just any phone. Just any phone, really. <laughs> I would just have him on there. He definitely is. He's one of those actors. You chuck him on, and it's it's always going to be better. Like yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if he's just the shop clerk. He's better at being any other shop clerk. Do you know what would actually be a really interesting one? No, actually, not be shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I was going to say, it'd be kind of cool to see him as Ali in a serious role, like redo Ali again. But then I remembered Will Smith did it pretty well a few years ago. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't really work that That's much. Like, Where did it go now? Wasn't it? Oh, probably about the over ten years. Fifteen years ago, I think it's yeah. like two thousand that came in or something like that. There was that any good? I never saw. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. A uh, uh, main Will Smith got proper bulked up. Yeah, he was huge for it. Absolute yeah. beast. But this isn't a review of two thousand. <laughs> it's a review of twenty fifteen. Oh, he's got about the Matrix. Fucks. <laughs> because right, it was 1999. I love just slipping out we found that was not the year. Any more on Tomorrowland? I think just a must opportunity. It was just kind of Hugh Laurie's on there as well as sort of this 
shoehorned an antagonist that you don't really see through it much of the film and then when you get towards the end he's just not threatening them whatsoever it's Hugh Laurie and it's not like is he American or British in it I can't even remember I was that uninterested I can't even remember what accent he was doing but he's not that threatening when you get to Tomorrowland as well you don't really get to explore it enough and then when you're actually in Tomorrowland in the scenes it's not as visually striking or as interesting as what you would have thought it's just bland it's, it's just a very bland film and nothing is really interesting about it whatsoever. And I'm surprised because it was Pixar director who done it. Uh, Brad Bird. Brad Bird. And it, I thought it was written by David Lover, David Lindelof though. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. I I thought there was going to be like bags of like creativity and stuff like that, especially with Brad Bird. But I think that's why I was even more surprised at how sort of sedit it was. But uh, just very disappointing. Daniel, any other films you want to bring up? Uh well, if we're doing like a review of the year. You have to bring up Mad Max. Yeah. Fury Road. Because uh, it was a big surprise, and it seems to be topping, or at least getting on a lot of critics' end of year lists. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> it is. No, good. it's not. It's really. Like, why do I always say everything's well shot? Oh, high adrenaline action pumping balls out of the bath action yeah. film. It doesn't. One thing that it does really well is that it doesn't try and take too much on, or it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't shoehorn like maybe a romantic plot. That you're going to think, and it really does set up this franchise because, especially that last scene, spoilers, we have uh, Max walking away in the distance. I mean, are we going to see like this sort of wasteland just being visited by him? Or I heard theories as well that maybe you could use like the Mad Max as maybe like a James Bond type character where it's more of a myth. See, that'd be, that'd be a, I think, a great idea. It'd be All interesting. Right. Yeah, because then you could really like run with it, and it's not a case of like, you know, hardy outgrowing the role, maybe getting too old for the role. It then becomes, you know, maybe you could use like a different actor every couple yeah, of it's films. Yeah, it becomes an interpretation as opposed to a character. Then, like. yeah. See, what I heard about like for like sequels and stuff to this is that it, they were actually thinking about kind of splitting it, so then you have a Furiosa film and then like a Mad Max film. I would love to see that too, if a Furiosa. I mean, mm. like, we, we mentioned that the first time we actually talked about it, and I do think that Mad Max is probably everybody's biggest surprise of the year because it was pretty much a very dead franchise and nobody really cared about it anymore, you know and what I mean? I, I wasn't too enthused by the trailers, really. Yeah, it didn't look that exciting, but I mean... He, even the fact of it, it's just it's how ballsy it is and how completely different it was from what you were expecting. It's the fact that Furiosa is the main character. Like mm. yeah. Mad Max is pretty much our eyes. You know, what I mean, Mad yeah, Max he's, is basically he's there. He's having fun as well until like it comes round and yeah. it sort of it becomes like a sort of mutual respect then between them. But you know, there's there's times where he's working against their best interests and yeah. obviously the the best interests I think we have as viewers because we obviously want to see them escape. But I think as well that uh, I was going to say that. It's oh, not no, 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 I think tonally sometimes it loses me a bit where uh the, the scenes like the Duff War and some of the lines that uh the I uh, the some of the lines with uh the Furiosa and the the female characters are given are I think a bit too on the nose, a bit too cheesy. But in saying that, I mean it does really have good characters in it. Like Furiosa's fantastic. Uh Max, as I say, is just, you know, a grunting beast. I like the fact that it just it just shows how good the performance from Hardy is, is that Matt Max doesn't have many lines in that film. But he's still a really, really intriguing character. You just want to kind of follow along. Yeah, the wee shots as well, where it shows you like you know this dark past, maybe like, you know a family that is lost because he has like this post traumatic stress that sort of surrounding it. Like he doesn't talk to anybody about that. Yeah. You know, it's not brought up. We never get to delve into him, but you know, it's it, he sort of remembers that and it inspires him to be like a better man. And it's it's done very subtly and it doesn't beat you over the head with it. And uh, yeah, it's it does what it does well. I think as well what was really, really impressive about Mad Max Road is just that fucking ridiculously bluster and piss it. Mm. I mean, I think that within the first 30 minutes or 45 minutes, there's more action, especially creative action, not just your kind of standard chase scenes on there, yeah. than there is in about five separate action films, you know what I mean? And it's just 
completely balls to the wall. I mean, like, there's actually, I think, only a, a real let-up about an hour in there where they stop off in, in that night scene where there's the yeah. shootout, and you're kind of delighted. You're delighted and that it's just slowed down for a few minutes. And even then, Max goes and kills a bunch of boys. <laughs> <just> <laughs> sna- he snipers away <laughs> in the dark, guy. But it's it's just a breakneck piss, and it's, it was just really refreshing to see that because now your most action films, they're, they're sort of uh, conveyor belt, you know what I mean? You, there's a certain structure to them, you know, you kind of slow it up, and then you have a big a set piece or a big spectacle, whereas that was just all spectacle, and it was just just how well done the special effects were and how just sort of eye-catching how visually engaging some of those shit scenes were a lot of part of it we've talked about before would be practical as well and yep. you can definitely tell I mean like some of those scenes with uh, they all have names but they're never actually divulged in the film but you know like the polecats isn't it yep uh, like those scenes are incredible I mean, I'm sure they're going they're not going as quick as what the, the shooting makes you think but you know just being on the back of this huge uh, steampunk Mobile and then just doing that. I thought it was Steam crazy. Mobile. Steampunk mobile. <laughs> I can't speak today. I I did really like the Duff Warrior as well. The boy just railing on a fucking flamethrower guitar. Uh, that was too much for me. <laughs> no, see, I like that because I mean, Mad Max has always been set in like this sort of post-apocalyptic world where it is supposed to be ridiculous as well like I mean he is there for the pure insanity of it like for no yeah. reason than that you know I mean they try to crowbar on some explanation that him playing is like they motivate the rest of the guys which in fairness that has happened in actual wars you know what I mean yeah, so why wouldn't that happen yeah so why wouldn't that happen you know guy just shredding out a couple of notes on a big massive flame floor <laughs> on the back of a big massive truck <laughs> uh, it's basically an amplifier with how many speakers on it oh uh, <laughs> I, I take things too seriously because I mean like that really annoyed me and it shouldn't because it's you know the film is not really there to be taken seriously at those sort of parts I mean it is just over the top action yeah. for the sake of it Yeah, I think uh, Nicholas Holt was really good on as well I, was, uh, I want I, to die on the Fury Road <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like Nicholas Holt but he, he can be a bit hit and miss and just how he kind of comes across sometimes like he comes across as just a dick. Yeah, but he, he just comes across kind of smart. Me or something. I think it's his fist. I don't like his fist. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's that? What's that one he had out recently? He's like a music producer or something. I don't know. He looks as smart as fucking that. Like, I'll yeah. kill your friends or something. Like, like it's, he's trying to work his way up in this like music company, and he actually kills his friends. Oh yeah, but uh, he looks smart as fucking that. Like, but uh, I think he was class in this here. Yes, he can be really good when he wants to be too. I mean, like even yeah. uh, as Hank. Is it Hank McCoy in uh, the X Men series, First mm. Class, and Days yeah. of Future Past? I think he's been quite good there too. But uh, he's really good. The whole cast is very, very good. And I, I, especially as well, I just really like the the villain of Morton Jew. I think like he was just there was someone. I wouldn't even say underlyingly creepy, just generally creepy about yeah. the guy. You know what I mean? Especially because he's got all his uh, what, what's he call him again? It's like there's a sex lives like, but he's got a certain word from like a harem of them. But just I his wives. Ah, the wives, actually, they're just called the wives, but what do you call them, like a harem or something like that, you were saying? Oh, well, that's just the sort of term for, like, a general sex group, as I am well aware. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know they do. These are sex people. Uh, I can't remember at all. But another thing as well is that uh, if you look at that in Star Wars, is maybe the sort of movement, which sex is Sex people. <laughs> sex people, no, uh, just powerful female characters. It's great to see. Oh, it's amazing, yeah. I mean, there's that great scene in uh, Mad Max as well, where uh, Max can't, he can't take aim off in the distance. Like he just, he's unable. He doesn't have the talent. So then, when Furiosa comes over, he stops and stands still and gives it to her. And I'm sorry, you would not have seen that like 15 nah, years ago. No chance. I mean, sure, even in Terminator 2, it has like you know the uh, disposable black character who will make him be a hero, but he has to die. Yeah. Do you know what I mean like there's all these sort of tropes that, yeah, 
you're right, that's what it's called. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, there's these sort of... Uh, I, he didn't invent that Hoover. Hoover, <laughs> yeah, no, that's what he's working on. Thinking, <laughs> 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 we got the wrong boy. He's trying to make a Hoover and ended up fucking starting an apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a sort of movement now where it's a lot more of a level playing field, I think, and maybe it's a bit of a subversion and it's good to see bigger films do that. About fucking time as well. Yeah, of course. I don't know how many years. Even the fact that the conversation is happening because like, mm. I heard... Like so, some criticisms of like Mad Max is that Furiosa only saves the attractive girls because they they have like the milk made ones in there that are just they just uh, like produce breast milk and all for them. Like she doesn't save them either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. So like the the conversation go both ways of like is it sexist? Is it empowering or whatever? But uh, the the fact that the conversation is happening yeah is good and that you can point at those female characters and discuss it essentially yeah big time and I mean like I, f- I think it's something that's needed to happen for a long long time and even I, I think that like you were saying the conversation starting I think that it's actually a, a kind of fucking joke that it's taken this long for that conversation to start and the fact that it's actually remarkable when there is you know one or two strong female characters in one year as, as opposed to it just being the norm you know the what fact mean? that you have to point out oh it had a strong female yeah. character you can't just say oh it was a great character yeah you even know? you know I mean mm. that's that, that even that just shows how you Deep the sort of problem is because you're really that unused to seeing it, but you're that desensitized it that you don't realize until you actually see a strong female character. Next year, female black. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> mm. They're that's, all getting their time this on then. No, that's one character. <laughs> <laughs> a big blockbuster. Uh, <laughs> the suits will never go for it. <laughs> <laughs> they had it in the wire. Yeah, they Um. Yeah, so any honourable mentions, any shout-outs before we wrap up? You yep. just want to mention? I think instead of doing a recommendation, we should just kind of give a couple of shout-outs to the, I suppose, good films in 2015. So I, I just have a few here. First of all, I would say Bone Tomahawk. I think that was an underrated Bone week. Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. I thought that was an underrated gem. Another, which was an all underrated gem, was The Gift, which is actually something mm. that you recommended to me before you'd even seen it. But Gordo! I'm glad, <laughs> but I'm glad <laughs> you did. Uh, another one that i seen this year, and it's... Uh, I, apparently going to sweep up at the Oscars it's it's somewhere a big chance is uh, Spotlight it's Todd McCarthy it is about the cracking of a prostitution ring or not a prostitution ring sorry a child abuse scandal I think it's in Boston and uh, it's a priest isn't it? yeah yeah and the last one is Sicario which a lot of people just pointed at and says was a standard action film or a standard sort of war on drugs cartel sort of film but I just thought it was really really well handled and actually ridiculously tense and ridiculously chilling in some scenes and Benicio Del Toro is an ice cold fucking killing it so I definitely give that a go to and Emily Blunt's a badass Emily Blunt does a badass and another strong female character don't don't to me (laughs) (laughs) she has a penis um Daniel no I have not watched that many you see I only watch older films as well it's very rare I go to the cinema it's really sad isn't it (laughs) Oh, uh, man. <laughs> I know. No, he's therapy sessions. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, just even bring up for just dimension. Uh, Foxcatcher yeah. is one I was disappointed by. To yeah. be honest, you were disappointed. I was disappointed by Foxcatcher. I. It's one of those films that they were talking about. Uh, you know, Carell giving like a performance that maybe we wouldn't have expected from, but he doesn't really. I don't think. I think it's very flat, and obviously he doesn't look like him. But it's not like it's a very, very convincing or very good performance and there's there's some things you like in it like uh, Chan Tatum's very very good in it as is Mark Ruffalo as he is in everything but uh, the story itself is it's very interesting because this man upon is actually a famous character you know 
you know, being having a slight interest in wrestling, I would have heard his name before. And yeah. it's, just, it's just an absolutely crazy story. But the way they sort of frame the narrative, it doesn't maybe play out as well as it could. Or uh, it sort of it, it meanders along it's, rather than actually hits the beats proper. I think even as well, knowing that storyline before watching the film, we kind of knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm. But I think they signposted way too much as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not even like they're teasing it. You're just kind of waiting for what happens. They happen then towards the end, like, which was kind of disappointing. And you're right too about Corel. I think it's a good performance, but I don't like it when all somebody has to do is do a different role and put on some fucking prosthetics and then all of a sudden it's a great performance. I whack on mm. a fake nose. I exactly, whack on a fake nose and squint a bit. You know what I mean? Like a, it's like, that's not a great performance. You're just saying that because he looks different. That's It's, it's a really poor way to you judge have, it. Like. You have Steve Martin to blame for that and Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> obscure reference. Hasn't? <laughs> 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 obscure. Okay. Um... Quick thing I wanted to bring up Jurassic World. I actually really like that film. I know Shan just thinks it's. Shan, Shan enjoyed it, but it's just a kind of standard blockbuster, you would I, say. I think it's just. It's it's a good example of like a sort of tech box exercise of, of blockbusters. I'm not saying that in a sort of derogatory way. I think it. It ticks all the right boxes and just does everything very well, but just nothing jumps out at you. There's nothing there that you would really remember i mean like the effects excellent performance excellent set pieces all well and good and all very entertaining but it just it's i think it's forgettable well <clears throat> what i liked about it though is uh i think it it was the right direction for to continue on jurassic park films yeah because you're you're never going to get better than the first jurassic park so you kind of just need to go a bit mad with and yeah. a bit more ridiculous with and kind of nearly go down not completely down the fast and furious model but Get like to, the end of Jurassic World. It's ridiculous. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I like that that you're just having a bit of crack with a bunch of dinosaurs. You know, like, <laughs> and I think that like as I said, it's not going to be as good as Jurassic Park, but it doesn't need to be. If you just want to sustain this as a franchise, it can just be fun with dinosaurs. That's what the next one's called. It's <laughs> a good stepping stone as well. They like reignite that franchise, I suppose. To yeah, and it has obviously proven that Colin Trevorrow is the greatest director ever. Yeah, well, <laughs> that remains to be seen. <laughs> uh, any, any, any more for any more? No, I think that's us done with twenty fifteen. Okay, it was an awful year. <laughs> Did you have a bad 2015, Daniel? Oh, awful. Then that 2014 was pretty shit as well. <laughs> 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 I had quite a good year. 2016 is a little too fucking optimistic. Right <laughs> <laughs> it's just a hard going, isn't it? It's just all this fucking goddamn drinking. I'm doing, I know, honestly, this is a really bad time to do a podcast. <laughs> I couldn't speak, couldn't make a point. <laughs> I'm depressed now. It just shows, can we actually articulate I mean, ourselves without drinking? That's the first time we've ever done Super, I think. <sighs> Well, it's I've been drinking hot whiskeys. Yeah, sure enough. It's a strange, weird feeling. I don't want to do it again, so we're <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> okay, we'll wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for listening to this for the whole year. We'll be going into the new year. We're hoping to do more stuff, maybe some more podcasts, get a bigger audience, and you can help us with that. Just share us about, recommend us to your friends, whatever you want. Yeah, so if, if you want to write in with some of your favorite films from 2015 or disappointing or whatever, you can contact us at Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at Talk More Movies. You can also like us, review us on iTunes, ACAST, and also on Stitcher Radio. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Dan Killen's been Dan Killen. See ya. Shanko's been Shanko. Hey, yay! Thank you so much for listening. 
See you in 2016. Oh shit, episode? 35, baby. Goodbye. Fuck 2016, give me my fucking bed. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.